Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. There's the theme song and you've come to the right place. It's the Steam Room uh, with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson. Uh, As we like to say, for no apparent reason, it is the second most popular podcast in the history of media. There you go. It sounds like a bold claim. Ernie, when you tell a lie, if you're aggressive and say it with confidence, the public don't know. I mean, I think that when the people finish with this podcast, they'll be saying, second most popular. What's better? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. so you're back from the match down there in Hope yeah. Sound at Medalist. Yeah. We'll be talking about that a lot um, in the course of today's uh, podcast. Um, but first of all, that's how we always start the first segment. Yeah. Uh, I hate to, you know, I always want our podcast to be fun and lighthearted. But, man, I got to talk about a couple of things that's really breaking my heart. Um Mr. Aubrey in Georgia and Mr. Floyd in Minnesota, you know, obviously they're both tragic. Uh, You know, I just, I I always feel uncomfortable talking about race because I think very few people have what I call a pure heart. When I mean a pure heart, I mean like you have to go into a conversation. I don't have my mind made up. I just want to be fair and honest, but when this thing happened in Georgia, uh, where we where we are right now, about the young man who got killed who was out jogging, and then you see the thing in Minnesota where the cop is, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing good. Can, there's no excuses whatsoever. To, to watch that video and that poor man on the ground and my man is kneeling on his head. I mean, it just breaks your heart to see to see those things. Uh, you know, I've always said, you know, respected cops, and they always going to have my respect. But some of these guys got to take a look at themselves and say, yo, man, that ain't right. Um, I, I just feel sadness about the situation in Georgia, kid out for a jog, and he ends up dying. Nobody want to see a kid die in that mad, and that should never happen. There's no excuses. That should never happen. But the thing in Minnesota was really distressing because – you got to see and you hear people filming and they're screaming and you can hear my the, the guy, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And the public, I mean, clearly at that point, the man is subdued. Uh, like I say, I always try to get the cops the benefit of the doubt because I've never, I don't have the courage to be in their shoes, but 
man, that cannot happen under any circumstances whatsoever. Uh, I, I still don't want those people out there rioting and things like that because that, that doesn't help. But I think one, the cops and the public got to get together, especially the black communities, how can we help each other? Um, and I just, like I said, I don't want us, I want our podcast to be lighthearted and us to have a good time and get people away for an hour every week. But man, my heart was broken for the, for the Aubrey family and the, and the Floyd, Floyd family. And I just wanted to start the podcast like that. No, I, and, and I see exactly what you mean, Charles. And I had an idea that's probably where you would want to start today because you can't, uh, yeah, like we we do, we do try to keep it light, but we also try to keep it very real. And and when you look at our world this week, and you see, obviously, it's been a few weeks since the since the incident in South Georgia, but but to see that on the streets of Minneapolis, and to see, um, you know, it was as he had his knee on the, on his neck. And, and I kept looking, just saw his, like his left hand was in his pocket. Like he's yeah. like, like, this is, I've got this under control. Yeah. It's, you know, if, you know, they talked about resisting arrest, which we haven't seen anything that suggests that. Yeah. But even, but even if that happens and then you subdue, this person and you yeah. have the upper hand and he is handcuffed and he's not going anywhere then okay it's it's over yeah. now let's now let's take the next step if you're going to arrest him if you're going to take him to a police station what are what are you going to do but that's just it's it, it defied all description and all yeah in all sense when you when you yeah. watched it and then as you point out you hear people saying hey guys he can't breathe yeah. hey are you hearing him say and ah and and it just went on for it wasn't like it was a 30 second piece of video man it was no, minutes I, upon minutes upon minutes and the thing that's, that that scares me and bugs me like you know you got a couple sons uh and for uh for for your son, the sons, if that happened to your son, I don't have a son. Like, that is so tragic. Like, some things happen. Car accidents happen. You know, people die in wars and things like that. People are dying during the coronavirus. But to see a, a, a young man, a young man just held down on the ground with a guy, like, a guy just put his, uh, got his foot on his head. I mean, just, and you, and you just, you see in this right here, you're like, and then the guy's dead. And I just, I had to say something. Like I say, I've always been uh, trying to defend the cops, and I'm always going to defend the cops. But that's that's indefensible. And my thoughts are prayers with the Aubrey family and the Floyd family because, man, to see that, uh, to see it, uh, I mean, like, you know, uh, it, it just hurts you. Uh, it just hurts. Yeah. How about that Amy Cooper video from Central Park? You know, I saw the video. The guy just asked you to put your leash, your dog on a leash. And, and the sign clearly says all dogs must be on a leash. In that area of Central Park where a yes. lot of vultures are, a lot of wildlife is there. Yeah. And she and, and, and my man is like, hey, I'm just telling you to put your dog on a leash. And she is, uh, uh, you just, 
That's why I tell you, Ernie, I'm always uncomfortable when it comes to race because how many people like, let's just do the right thing. Let's don't worry about who's black, who's white, who's Jewish, who's Hispanic. Uh, let's just do the right thing. And when you, it's just been three examples and two people died. The other one just humiliating and embarrassing for that young lady. But when it gets to something like say, when people die, man, Ernie, you had a great shirt on it. That just came to me. Uh, you had a shirt on a couple podcasts ago. Oh, the, the, the uh, Be a Better Human t-shirt from, yeah. uh, from Combat Be, Flip-Flops. Yeah, yeah, like, man, and, and I thought about that when we got off that day, and, and it just came to me again, like, man, and, and and if you're watching this podcast, man, just try to be a better human, period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that in a disturbing week, you know, and Gail King on CBS, I watched her uh, on the morning news the other day. And those stories basically ran within 10 minutes of each other. Uh, the story from Minneapolis and the story from Central Park. And she was, she was almost in tears. And it was like, um, it was just like a reality of, of like, is this where we're living? Is this, is this what we're, yeah. is this what we're going to accept? Uh, and, and, and then to and part of that was that you know this woman thinking the way I'll get to the the way I'll solve this is to say that there's an African American man threatening me yeah and it's like golly yeah yeah that's just it just makes you sick Chuckster these things are magnified in the middle of the pandemic also because you're like man we got enough stuff to worry yeah. about yeah like we like people dying. We got people who are losing their businesses, who are losing their jobs. And now you bring in this, really, the only word I can say is nonsense. And it just makes things worse. And, uh, my man, just try to be a better human. Uh, totally understand you wanting to go to the, the stuff we need to talk about there to start the show. Um, uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it light the rest of the way out here today. Um, but that's where you needed to start with your first of all. Back with more on the uh, the Steam Room podcast after this. Welcome back to the Steam Room, everybody. Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley. Uh, Chuck, I know you enjoy it when we have special guests and. I enjoy it when you don't know who the special guest is. And so I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a hint. You, I'm going to let you hear his voice. Here it is. Chuck, I'd love to see your fat ass try to jump a basketball right now. <laughs> JT, you can't call me fat on TV. That's bullying. <laughs> How about that, Chuckster? Let's welcome Justin Thomas into the proceedings. JT, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, just wonderful. Congratulations on one of the great lines of the match. That was tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And congratulations to an unbelievable video for a uh, for the start of that as well. No, thanks, kid. I appreciate you. Well, Justin, man, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule last week, man. That was one of the highlights of the weekend for me, uh, getting tips from you. And you were great on the course. How relaxed were you during the match? Uh, during the match, I was good. And honestly, with a lot of the uh, the pregame stuff, just 
you know, because I wasn't calling golf. It's easy for me when I see something to call it how I see it, at least it is in my opinion. But the stuff beforehand, you know, giving an analysis or, or picking, you know, a team versus the other, uh, you know, knowing when I'm on camera, when I'm not, stuff like that, that's stuff I'm not used to. <laughs> hey, but uh, let me say this. I mean, as I watch that and I, uh, one of your representatives, uh, Jeff Schwartz, uh, he and I swapped emails that day, and I I told him I said I said your guy is a natural at this thing. He's he's been tremendous. I'm not you know blowing smoke at you because you're here on here on this podcast with us, but it it did look effortless for you, and uh, and not everybody can do that, JT. It's just not that easy. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I obviously I was blown away by how many uh, texts and emails and things like that that I got it was it was weird everyone was uh I was joking um with Jeff actually but Steiny and Lance did excel and I was saying you know I, I feel like I won a tournament I got so many texts it's just kind of <laughs> it's a nice feeling but uh it, yeah it's just for me I I obviously I love golf but I, I like the uh kind of the nerdy side of it of you know how I'm hitting shots and and being able to you know call things how I see them you know and and I think that's something that a lot of amateur golfers at home don't realize is you know we might have 170 yards in the middle of the fairway to a right pin but you know how are we going to do that and where's the wind at and how is that going to change it or we have this simple little chip and you know I I would have loved to ask those guys every shot and chip they had but as I learned in tv and producing uh you don't have all the time you want it's (laughs) you you have to to get things in certain windows and my number one priority was not talking over the guys and not talking over a single player. And that was my main goal because that's something that people at home wanted to hear. And, um, you know, I felt like I did that, but it was, I was also very fortunate to get a great crew and they made it a lot easier for me. You know, as far as this, obviously we've never been through anything like this pandemic uh, in, in our lifetime. And this probably the longest you've probably the longest in your life you've been without playing golf, to be honest, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It's definitely, a hundred percent, the most I've mo- the most amount of times I've woken up in my bed in a row. I think since like middle school, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so my question is, how are you on? If, if choosing between playing and practice, how would you tell me you spent that time between playing and practicing? Playing, I was I've I've spent ninety five percent of the time playing. I. I just felt like, and my dad is my coach. We just felt like we weren't really going to get out a lot out of practicing uh, this entire time. It was, if anything, it was just going to be, um, you know, not be beneficial as opposed to helping. And it just was, it's one thing if you're practicing, what you know you're getting ready for when it's coming up. But I felt like I was starting to play really well right when, you know, when, when we got suspended or kind of put on a little hold there, but, you know, what, what was I going to do? Was I going to go to the range that week to, to kind of hone it in and get it perfect for, you know, not having a tournament golf again for two months. So it's like, as you guys know, in golf, it's just, it's so hard to maintain to play at a high level already. So I felt like, why am I going to try to peak for when I'm not even playing a competitive round? It just, it didn't make sense to me. So I, I took this time to, to really, get the routine workout wise and get my body in good shape and, and, you know, work on some weaknesses I had there. But whenever I wanted to do things golf related, I would just go play, you know, I'd either go have money games and just go have fun, you know, play with three clubs, play left-handed, whatever. But 
when I would go out and play, I just wanted to hit different shots. So I didn't lose that aspect of it. You know, my, my distance control isn't great. My chipping isn't great right now, but that's what these next two weeks are for. I went out, I practiced this morning. I worked on my wedge game, worked on my distance control and it already feels better. And, you know, for, for playing, it's not like I took enough time off where I have to completely restart. I just have to kind of hone in some things because I want to be able to be peaking or trending the right direction once we start back up again, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so it's a couple of weeks away, right? Colonial? Two weeks from today. Yep. So, I mean, is there any feeling on on your part, Justin, because of the way golf looks on TV now and because there's no gallery is there anything, any part of you that's saying, look, I need to, I need to try to make this a little more entertaining than it normally would be? I mean, is that, I mean, now that you've seen like how the match worked and saying, you know, let's, let's make this a little more fun for the viewer. Can you do that when you're trying to win a golf tournament? Uh, I haven't thought of it. Uh, I, that would obviously help and be great for not only everybody at home, but for us as well, being on the PGA tour, but I mean, I hate to say it and it sounds bad, but I mean, I'm there for one reason, one reason only, and that's to try to win a tournament. And if it pleases everybody, great. If it doesn't, I don't really care because if I won the tournament, that, that's all that I'm there for. And I know that sounds bad saying it, but it's not just an exhibition. It's not just, a, um, you know, a fun round. And obviously the match is still competitive, but that's a lot different. You know, it's like, yeah, Phil and, and Tom didn't win, but the end goal was still there. They raised a, a lot of money for charity it was unbelievable viewing, and at the end of the day, although they want to win for bragging rights, it didn't really matter, whereas I'm going to a tournament for one reason, and that's to win. Um, and hopefully the entertainment value is just me or whoever making a lot of birdies and people like to watch because, as you guys know, sports fans will watch about anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I think the, the tour should consider letting you guys wear microphones I think because if you're not going to have fans, I think you're going to have to do something. You're going to do something to spice up the coverage. That's just my personal opinion because you just can't have announcers talking for four hours. For sure. I mean, I, would you? How would? How much would it affect you to wear a mic? Uh, I wouldn't wear one personally because I say a lot of I say a lot of weird stuff when I'm on the golf course. <laughs> I, I just I, and especially with today's day and age, I just would hate to say the wrong thing that gets on there, and then all of a sudden it's all over the internet and whatever it might be. It's just I I would I would feel uncomfortable the entire time, or even in conversation with Jimmy, my caddy. It's just like you know I might you know throw an f bomb in there when I'm just having a normal conversation, but it's unfortunately it just what if it happens it happens so then it's it's out of my control so i just would i personally wouldn't wear one i know a lot of guys would and i do think that would be huge and a lot of fans and people at home would like it but i also understand that um with boom mics nowadays especially when you're in the feature groups or you're in the last couple groups i mean those mics are right on us you know they're they're there's mics on the tees, there's mics on the greens, and when we're in the fairway, they're right next to us. So they can pretty much hear everything we're saying anyway. The only thing they can't hear is the conversations between shots, which it's not like it's any of their business at home anyway. You know, I, I definitely do see what you're saying. And I, and the web or the corn ferry has done that. And I think it's gotten great feedback. It's just more so a matter of if, if some guys would be open to it or, uh, you know, if they'd be willing to do so. All I want to say as I close out my part of this thing is it was just wonderful to see uh, Alabama and Auburn coexisting <laughs> for at least a few hours. And Tennessee. How about that? Oh, I know. Yeah, this was uh, 
well, you're going to bring, I'll bring up Georgia at the same time, but it's like, that was a, it was an amazing thing. And I, I salute you, Justin, because that's uh, to be thrown into that uh, as a guy who's not into TV yet, you know, you did tremendous. And, and anytime you can take uh, some, some shots at Chuck and keep him in line, uh, (laughs) you're my guy. Yeah. I was a little worried when I, when I, you know, was brought this, I was like, man, am I going to, am I getting on this? So Chuck can, can roast me? Is he mad at me? And this, the people are texting me. And they're like, you know, what, what did Charles say? Did he? I'm like, man. I, first off, I would never say it to somebody I didn't know. But second off, if anybody knows Charles, they know that that's exactly what you like, Chuck, and just talking trash and being fun. And that's, I think that's what made the match so easy for me is is knowing everybody. I think knowing the four players, knowing the guys in the booth. I mean, BA is who I know the least, and. I obviously just know him from either watching coverage or just being around, you know, something that he's involved in. But it, it's, I mean, like I said, I, I couldn't have been luckier with who I was working with and them made it, they made it as easy uh, on me as possible. But, you know, if you get me on a golf course, that's in my comfort zone and I like to talk trash. So it's, uh, it was, it was a fun day for everybody involved. Well, I just want to say uh, two things. Number one, I cannot wait. So Ernie, he told me, and I was striping it on the range you before were. I choked like a dog. Like, I choked like a dog when I got on the course. I've he seen says, that act, man. I've seen that up close. Ernie, Ernie, the only bad shit I hit was to drive. But I, I want to say two things about golf. So Justin says to me, Chuck, what's your go-to shot? I says, well, the dribbler, <laughs> the, the, the hard right, the snap turtle off the tee. He said, no, he said, he said, no, he says, well, what shot do you hit on the pressure? And I said, Justin, I don't know that. He says, tee the ball down low and just make a normal choke down on your driver. Mm-hmm. And Ernie, Ernie, I hit 10 to 15. He says, it's not going to go as far, but it's going to be straight. And even if you miss it, is going to be, you're going to be able to play it. So yeah. that's the one thing he taught me. My second thing is, and I asked Trevor, because you said it on the course. So when, when Phil Mickelson was chipping, you said, Phil is one of the best at getting his chest through on his mm-hmm. chips. And I tried to get Trevor to explain, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. What exactly does that mean when you're trying to chip and get your chest in? Yeah, so it is, it's kind of hard to, um, I guess it kind of works for differently for everybody just in terms of the style that they chip. I mean, I kind of explained the bounce to you and, and using that, using the bottom of that club, but you know, for, I would say the easiest way to explain it is if, you know, if you're not, if you're standing 10, 15 feet, whatever, the distance doesn't matter. But if you're facing perpendicular to me, you know, like I'm not, you're not facing toward me, but if you're going to throw me a ball, does that make sense? You're kind of throwing it across your body underhanded or overhanded. Yes but you're not going to throw the ball and keep your chest pointed where you're facing. You're going to tr- turn your chest toward me and then throw it. Does that make yes. sense? It's kind of hard to explain, but it's just, you know, it's the same as anything is it'd be the, you know, if you're, if you're turning away, it's kind of like I was, I was telling Tom that he was hitting a shot and I was like, would you throw a football with like, if you had the opportunity to square up, wouldn't you square up? So why wouldn't you, you know, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, if you're standing there, and you're hitting something that's, you know, facing left of you from where you're standing, you're going to turn your body left of it to throw it, whatever you're throwing that way. So it's kind of the same with chipping. You don't want to hang back. You don't want to keep your body back 
and scoop something, you want to turn your body and let your arms go toward where you're going. So it's something that's harder to explain rather than show. But I, I kind of always, my dad has always done that. He's always related it to throwing a ball. Um, you know, he'll give someone a ball and say, throw me that ball. And he'll throw it to him and he'll be like, look at your chest. So why, if you throw a ball like that, like you're getting it to me, why aren't you doing that on your chip shot? So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, but hey, I, I listen, I'm working, I'm going to keep working on it. Because chipping is the worst part. Well, I shouldn't say the worst part of my game. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, but hey, I want to thank you, number one, for taking the time. I really want to thank those four guys uh, for playing. And, uh, and I told Ernie, me and Ernie was talking before you came on, the general public got no idea how hard it was raining down there. I give oh those guys God. a lot of credit. Trevor was amazing. Uh, B.A. was amazing. You were great. Amanda Balabonis was great. I um, mean, I just want to thank <laughs> everybody for working hard. And then to have it turn out to be the most watched golf event in history that's crazy, and I, I want to thank everybody for their hard work, and thank you for working with a slug like me, Justin. No, it was great, and I I obviously had respect for what you guys do. I'm a, First off, I'm a huge fan of, of y'all's show and everything y'all do. You guys are highly entertaining, but also do a great job in terms of giving information while also keeping it lighthearted but can be serious, and I think that's it's. I know you guys get a lot of credit, but you deserve every little bit you get, but also um, it's, it's just, I gained a whole new respect for, for TV side. And to me, having that headset on and listening to how many voices that are in there and VA's ability to, I mean, he would be in the middle of a story and Jeff, the producer would just come on and be like, all right, VA, we got a commercial in four, you got to wrap this. And he's just all somehow would conclude this story in two seconds and perfectly timing with the program be like, all right, and we'll be right back after this. And I'm like, how the hell did he just do that? <laughs> he was in the middle of the story, and he did all yeah, that. Yeah, that's so, why he's one of the, the very best in the business, JT. That's Yeah, and that, that's something that people at home obviously don't see and something I never saw. And I texted Bones when we finished. He does the on-course reporting, you know, for, for tour events now. And I said, I'm so sorry I ever tried to have a conversation with you on the golf course. I will never do it again. <laughs> you have so many people talking to you in that headset. You don't need someone in your other ear. So I thought that was fun. Okay, good luck as the, as the tour resumes in a couple of weeks. And uh, and uh, we will hopefully bump into you one of these days. And, and hopefully you won't have to bump into Chuck on a golf course anytime soon. <laughs> Shake that off. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on, and uh, hopefully things will get back to normal, and I can come see you guys somewhere. But uh, if not, we'll we'll stay in touch. Thank you, brother. All right, fellas. We'll talk soon. You know, Ernie, that was really awesome for me. You get one of the best players in the world to take the time uh, to just like, and we spent a half an hour on the range, and he was teaching me like, man, the thing that so it was clearly all about pressure. I mean, because he said when I teed that ball down. He said, it went perfect, 260, 270, 280. He said, it's not going to go as far as you normally hit the ball if you hit one solid. But even the ones I was missing, I could find him. So I'm going to use that going forward. Uh, but Ernie, I'm getting better, man. I'm getting better. Uh, Chuckster, when I said that I've seen that, when you've come out here to Chateau and, and we played, I've seen you striping it on the range. You know, I think you and I and a million other guys out there have this same thing of how can I transport that game from the range to the first tee? Because yeah. I, I can go, I can be out there 
and hit six in a row and in my warm-up that are absolutely perfect with the smoothest swing of all time. And I get to the first tee and then bang, there goes that flare. Uh-oh. But Justin did say something that I'm going to start thinking about more. So, you know, during this quarantine, I've been hitting balls two to three hours every day. Why, are you going on tour? No, uh, no, I just, listen, I'm going to be playing, I look like I'm going to be doing broadcasting all summer. But you know what he said? I'm going to start playing more. Uh, I'm going to start playing a lot more. Uh, that was very interesting that he said that. He says, you know, you 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 get a lot, you practice. He said, no, I don't practice at all. I play 90% where I play. So I'm going to start practicing as much as start playing more. Good idea. And choke down on that driver. Tee the ball down too, Ernie. Yeah. See, yeah. see, I, my driver's been in timeout the last four times I've played. I've just been hitting three wood off the tee. It's like Henrik Stenson. <laughs> been stinging that three wood, put it and keeping it in play. I love it. And that was great from uh, from Justin Thomas. Our thanks to JT, man. It's and it's wonderful to get golf tips from a guy who's, uh, who's a major champion. That's uh, yes. It's all. It's always a plus. Back inside the steam room. Thanks to uh, all you loyal steamers for joining us uh, for yet another episode. If this is your first time in the steam room, here's somebody you got to get used to uh, hearing from. He's, he's Tim Kiley. He's the legendary producer, the brains behind the operation that is inside the NBA. And uh, he always comes to the table with maybe some off the wall stuff or just his unique observations of the world. Wait, you're just throwing legendary around? Sure. Sure, that's what I do when it fits. Do you guys know what the most trending topic was just at the beginning of the match? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Ernie's essay, which was spectacular. I told him that when we first got on this uh, on the podcast today. His essay was fantastic. And the Jamie Foxx thing was great, and the Sam Jackson introductions were good. But, man, I, I tell you what, between Ernie's essay and Jamie Foxx and Sam Jackson, man, these guys, I got so much faith. And I want to give the public some credit. Uh, number one, I want to thank them for watching. But the production that the guys put together with these players, man, it was flat out awesome. And I'm glad to be a little part of it. I, it was really cool working with B.A. and Trevor Emmerman. B.A., man. That was my first time working with him. They made it so easy for me. Uh, I, I got a chance to work with Amanda Balabonis. Balabonis, yeah. Balabonis, she was fan- Yeah. And uh, J- Justin Thomas was great. You mentioned B.A. Um, he will go down as one of the great play-by-play guys of all time before it's all said and done and just a, as good a person as you can possibly have. And let me thank... Drew Watkins and Brian Sterling, Jonathan Wendell, Chris Wolf, George Adams, Kellen Stargell all worked on that. They're all part of our creative unit at Turner. And so uh, when you work with people like that and you consider nobody's doing this at the office anymore, you know, it's not like they're they're down at work at Turner Studios working on this. Everything's being done remotely. And so for them to take like the idea, you know, I kind of told them what I wanted to do, sent them what I had written and well, they did a hell of a hell oh, of a, they, the man. I, I tell you, Chuckster, when I sat there, Cheryl Ann and I were, were at home and they sent me an advanced copy said, Hey, this is 99% done. Take a look. And I'm sitting there. My wife is like crying. And she's like, 
you know, and I said, look, that's what happens when you work with excellent people. I mean, these people poured their souls into that. So thanks to everybody for their comments about that too. Appreciate you bringing that up, TK. But it was, uh, I was just happy to have some small part of what was really a cool Sunday on TNT and TBS. It was great, Ernie. And and as you said, Brian stepped in beautifully, especially when it came to handling Chuck, because we all know what a nice guy Brian is. I mean, he doesn't have a bad bone in his body. But when Brian takes a pot shot at you, I don't know. You know, the joke out there is mm. the reason they went with Feeding America is because Feeding Charles was too <laughs> scary that for That was him. pretty good, B.A. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That was very sneaky. Uh, Silent but deadly. I like that. <laughs> so you guys know that the broadcast got a six rating, the most watched golf telecast in cable TV history. All good stuff. But, Chuck, do you know what was happening at the exact time viewership peaked around 6.5? No. Roll the tape. Hey, Tom, how many shots you want? This Chuck. Chuck. C- come on, man. I'm going to give you some shots, man. I want All some right. of you. you got to get going. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, you made it. <laughs> what? Hey, man. Chuck. I got that's all through. Shut your mouth, Chuck. Take a little of that medicine. Get your butt out of here. Take a shot on that, Chuck. Hey, I thought, man, Tom was so awesome. The guys made the match, being being so personable. That was the best thing for me the whole entire weekend, that that shot right there, and him giving me the crap. Peyton is just amazing. You know, Phil's going to do what Phil does, but for Tom to open up and have fun – for Tiger to, you know, he, Tiger was good too. But for Tom and Peyton to loosen up and have a good time, man, that made the match. You know what was amazing to me, Chuckster, too? I guess it was the 16th hole. That's the par three, the 16th. When Tiger, everybody was closer than Tiger oh, on that I par three. That. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's Peyton stuffing it, you know, almost an ace. And it's pretty rare when you see four guys on the tee and Tiger's going to be a putting first. Hey, listen, you know, one of our sponsors was DraftKings. I said, what would have been the odds on that part three that Tiger was going to have the worst tee shot? It would have been the end of DraftKings. Cause no, <laughs> you know, I was like, come on, that was really good. Chuck, reaction's been such that it's got to be a lock, speaking of the bets that there'll be a match number three. Anybody you guys would suggest? There any, the first guy I threw out there is John Smoltz. He's got to be a maniac. Hey, I had a call from Smoltzy on Monday morning, and he was uh, he said, if you got to have the game and the name. I got them both. You know, and it's like, <laughs> so I knew it would not be difficult to persuade John Smoltz to take part in that. You could almost make it a multi-sport thing, a golfer, a football player, a baseball player. That kind of a thing. And I had a couple of people call me. Uh, I saw that Drew Brees and Sergio Garcia uh, challenged the champions. You know, people ask me, would Michael do it? I'm like, I said, number one, I don't know. But I think it would be a really awesome charity event. And, you know, we're ra- to raise $20 million, if you were to get five or six teams of the best in the world at their sports and uh, with a golfer, I think it would blow the roof off. I'm not even joking. To get if you can get Michael and and Brooks Kepka, get Dustin Johnson and somebody, I think it would be it'd be awesome. How about Steph, Chuck? 
Oh, Steph said he would do it. Steph said he wanted in. I mean, he said, I, I saw the tweet. I mean, I, I mean, I saw it on Bleacher Report because I don't tweet, but I saw. <laughs> hey, man, let me tell you something. Uh, Bleacher Report is a lifesaver for me. I ain't going to lie because I don't do any social media or stuff like that. I go on Bleacher, Bleacher Report and they just a lifesaver for me. Anything sports related, they keep me up, updated. Chuckster, just as I wrap up, say it after me. Amanda Ballionis. Ballionis. Amanda Ballionis. There we go. First of all, I wouldn't call her that. I just call her Amanda. You don't call people their full name, fool. <laughs> I was like, hey, Amanda. Hey, good point, Charles Barkley. <laughs> Ernie, well done. It started that show off with a bang, and then everything else that followed it was incredible. So yeah. You're too kind, TK. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. We welcome you back to the steam room. Chuck, we have another guest. Oh, a special guest. A special guest. We appreciate it when all of our special guests keep their uh, keep their towels on here in the steam room. Detlef Schrempf joins us from Seattle. Det, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I, I got no reasons to complain. You know, it's just a weird, weird life right now, but uh, we, we're doing well. Thanks. Everybody's safe and healthy. Yeah, everyone is. Uh, Seattle, uh, Washington is, you know, shut down pretty early in this whole process. And uh, it's just a weird uh, way to go about daily life, you know. So it's uh, it's just something that I've never expected would happen. You got me involved in a charity. So what what did you get me into? <laughs> well, Chuck, I asked you, well, you have a jersey, you have a pair of shoes. And he said, hey, how about a round of golf? So I said, how about you come over, visit, and play a round of golf with me at our club, and we'll auction it off. So it's, uh, it's being auctioned off on a, on a site right now for the Seattle Children's uh, Hospital. And it's their COVID-19 relief fund, you know, for the patients, for their clients, for the first responders. And uh, it just started at something like, hey, we have a few local guys, Jamal Crawford, Isaiah Thomas, guys that are here, you know, let's each donate a jersey, raise a few hundred or a few thousand dollars uh, to have a little bit of money sitting there, you know, for these uh, folks to, you know, take advantage of it. And uh, we said, well, let's reach out to who we know and see if we can get some other people involved. And you obviously uh, jumped on board and were so gracious to auction off a round of golf with Charles Barkley. And that thing has taken off because who wouldn't want to, you know, play with Charles Barkley and watch that swing, man. Yes. <laughs> if you got, if you got seven hours to spare debt. <laughs> hey, right now I got more than seven hours to spare. <laughs> People say to me all the time, they says, what NBA city needs a team? And I've said easily Seattle, toughest place I've ever played, loudest fans, even if you see now with the 12 man they have in uh, with the Seahawks, you guys have the most amazing fan base. How disappointing has it been for you guys not to have the NBA there? This, I think, going on 11 years now, right? It doesn't feel like it, but it's been a long time. And, uh, you know, I keep saying we're going to get a team back, but we're missing that generation of, you know, dads and parents not taking their kids to games. You know, yes, they're going to go to some college games here. Maybe they drive down to Portland and watch a game. But, you know, you're not really, you're not cheering for a team here. So that, you know, the, that connection with the NBA has kind of lost you in this market, which is really tough because I think Seattle had the greatest fans uh, in the NBA. They were, you know, we were all sold out. It was always loud. 
And like you said, um, I went and talked um, to the Seahawks a couple of years ago, and we said, you know, the 12th man used to be the sixth man for the Sonics. And, uh, you know, th that's the kind of fan base we have. And I think we're ready for it. Uh, I just don't know how long it will take now. What kind of memories did the Jordan documentary bring back for you? <laughs> uh, some good memories and, you know, and some tough memories. Uh, I think it's, you know, when we were also desperate to, uh, to see some sports, I think it was great to have that, you know, every Sunday night. It just shows you a little bit of what the NBA was like, you know, and like everything else, things evolve. And uh, it's a different game nowadays. It's a great game. I still love it. But it takes me back, uh, you know, especially when you look at some of those fouls. Like, I think I still got a scar right here from Charles where, <laughs> where uh, we kind of, you know, butted uh, heads on a, on a rebound. And I came away and my nose was kind of going sideways. And I go, what the heck, you know? So it, it was uh, great memories. What has been the, the best thing during this quarantine for you? Again, I like to look at myself as somebody that is a glass half full kind of guy. And for me, it's, uh, it emphasizes what life is all about. It's your family. Uh, it's the people you care about. It's being kind to one another. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of that is coming out. You obviously see the ugly side of it, too. You have to be creative because of, you know, even work stuff. You have to be creative trying to figure out how do you communicate with people, with friends, uh, new friends, business, all that stuff. And, uh, and you know, maybe this will make us a better nation. I I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm positive. But, you know, when you see the news every day and what's happened now and uh, just in Minnesota the last couple of days, you know, uh, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And, and maybe that's a wake-up call. Maybe we're finally able to, you know, ex execute on it better and, and, and take care of those things that shouldn't happen anymore. One of the things, Deb, that I've, been doing during this during this period is uh, something we call hashtag NBA together, where I've been doing this long form interviews with uh, players. We've done about 16 or something like now. One of them was Dirk. And it was great talking to him and with his memories of first time he played in an NBA game. And lo and behold, you're on the, on the other side. I mean, Dirk's first game in the NBA comes against uh, a guy he'd looked up to for so long, and and then he takes the bagel in that game. I think it was 0 for 5 or something from before. <laughs> but what do you remember about Dirk's presence in the league, and how did you try to help him? Back in those days, it was just uh, when there all of a sudden were more European players coming into the league. And I heard about Dirk uh, basically after the, I think it was the McDonald's All-American game that summer where, you know, we kind of dominated and played against some really good uh, competition. And so they're telling me, well, this, this young kid is coming into the NBA. Uh, you know, he's a tall German kid. He's a good shooter. And, and you know, I, I had no connection to him before, prior to that game, basically. Uh, I tried to reach out. But, you know, back in those days, there was no social media, right? There was no, hey, let, let me get your cell number. Let's text each other. Um so basically that, that game happened. I uh, met him before the game. I uh, gave him a phone number, um, you know, said, hey, uh, whatever you need, reach out to me. Um, you know, but he was a young kid, too. And uh, I think if I was 18, 19 years old, I probably would have been reluctant to reach out to Charles Barkley, you know, if he had got, gave me his number back then. We, we stayed over the uh, in touch over the years. We talk now, I'm trying to help one of the German players that's just got drafted by the WNBA. Uh, who's going to be a fantastic player. So, you know, we're trying to do more mentorship stuff to some of the German players or European players coming into the league. And he's probably more connected to that because 
younger and you just recently retired. You know, we were talking about a couple guys behind the scenes, capping everybody. You are one of the first great European players. And number one, I always tell people what a great dude you are, but you were one of the first great European players, man. And those guys, not just Dirk, all those guys owe you a debt of gratitude. And he said something interesting to me. He said, a lot of people didn't look at you like that because you played in the States. So I think, I said, said, you know what? I never thought about it like that. But, man, your influence on on, on the international game, those young players coming over here looking up to you, uh, they owe you a great deal of gratitude, man. And I just want to say thank you because that's the, to me, the first time I met Dirk, I tried to bribe him to go to Auburn. <laughs> Every time I see him, I said, man, you could have been a hell of a player if you had went to Auburn. And you look at you now, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel your whole career. You could have been a great player if you had went to Auburn. But uh, they owe, these guys owe you a, day, a great deal of gratitude, brother. I appreciate it, Chuck. Um, yeah, no, I, I know. Um, I didn't. I went more the traditional, you know, uh, route back then, where you came over as an exchange student, uh, tried to play in college. Um, you know, I, I went that way because at 17, 18 years old, I was definitely physically not ready for that kind of competition. You know, I was a skinny, you know, uh, skinny kid that that needed a a, a lot of maturing. Um, so it, it worked out well for me. You know, I did play every year until I became a pro. I played in, the, in Europe uh, spring and summer and played for the German national team. So I played against a lot of the guys that eventually came over years later. But, no, I, I get it. But, you know, this is a long time ago. And this is before all the teams were scouting uh, all over the world for the next talent uh, or the next Dirk Nowitzki. I think still a lot of guys wouldn't have made it over here if it wasn't for, hey, there's a German guy that's playing. But, man, that's a long time ago. That's before there was internet, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I know you've been on Parks and Rec, man. You got any acting gigs coming up? (laughs) Ernie, my number, it just, I mean, everyone has it. My phone just does not ring. It does not ring. (laughs) doesn't ring or doesn't stop ringing. It doesn't ring at all? It doesn't ring. I got no talent. (laughs) (laughs) Far from it. Hey, it's, it's been great talking to you, man. Great to catch up. Thanks. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing for COVID relief, too. Yeah, keep Thank pumping you. that up. Tell them people in Seattle. They don't have to buy Seattle Super Sunday's tickets. Spend it on golfing with Chuck. Have a great day out there. Always good talking to you, and uh, and continue to stay safe. Thanks, guys. Be safe. What a good dude, man. Yes, sir. He's a chill guy, too, man. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, and listen, Ernie, I, I'm not just saying this because we had him on the show. One of my favorite cities in the world, Seattle, Washington. Yeah, I think that's where I played my first all-star game, but a wonderful city, very underrated. And uh, I mean, I hate the NBA, but left there and I hope they get another team in the future. We did the Goodwill Games there in 1990 and it was, we were there for a month and it was beautiful and, and people were saying, don't tell anybody how nice it is. We're trying to keep all those people from San Francisco to, to keep from coming up here. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great city. Time to wrap things up. One of my favorite segments. I think they're all your favorite segments, aren't they? Oh, the one with TK is not my favorite. Oh, okay. Okay. Like there's a three or four way tie for first and then there's TK's segment. Whatever last place is TK. How about that? Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's see who we uh, are hearing from this week on Chuck's Answering Machine. You've reached Charles Barkley. 
Leave a message, America. Hey, Chuck, it's Underdog. I miss you, man. Uh, can't wait till things start to get back to normal and uh, we can have our normal post-show cocktails again. I'm curious how you've been spending your time during the pandemic. Have you been using your Peloton? And lastly, uh, have you been able to use the time to do any self-improvement projects like learn Spanish, which I know has been a long-term goal for you? Underdog. <laughs> man, I miss you, man. You know, I love you like a brother. You and Alex, we have our after work drink all the time. I miss you guys. Well, you know, one of my goals in life is to learn Spanish. Well, I haven't got there yet, but I downloaded two apps, Babbel and Duolingo. So I had planned on learning Spanish during the pandemic, but I downloaded them, looked at them one day, and that was it. I went ahead and I went ahead and go, come on, man. That's, that is not dedication to something at all. I just took one look and said, no, I'm just going to go hit a bucket of balls. Uh, several buckets, Ernie. Yeah. Okay. Several buckets. Wow. It's always good to hear from underdog, isn't it? Yes, it is, man. That's my road dog. Yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. And if you would like to do what underdog just did, and that's call Chuck's answering machine, the number 404 987-0330. Once again, that number, 404-987-0330. Operators are not standing by, but Chuck's answering machine is. Hey, it's been good catching up with you again. Also enjoyed watching you doing the golf down there. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to Justin Thomas for spending a few minutes with us today. Detlef Schrempf. Of course, yes. Tim Kiley for stopping by and dropping his wisdom. Are we close to 20 episodes we, in? We got to be right at 20. See you guys next week. Y'all have a great week, and I look forward to seeing y'all next 20, huh? Yes, sir. All right. Now we're starting to get real. Going to be something special next week. You just wait. <laughs>